0: <laughs> <laughs> Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter, and Big Sean Madigan. Hey, brother man, how are you?
1: Good man, how you doing? You, I'm doing, uh, pretty, uh, good, you, doing you, pretty good. You, you
0: handling uh, the heat here in New York this week? I'm one big fucking sweaty mess. I'm so fat, I can't get out of a chair without sweating.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unbearable. Uh, New York heat is not just the, the standard heat. We also have the humidity. Plus, uh, there's something about like the, the volume of buildings and density we have, which just feels like it's also in a shoebox of cement and concrete. Like, it's just kind of worse. And,
0: and there's just so many people. You yeah. know, I work on Fifth Avenue which is like the main, one of the main business districts of, of, of New York city, and, and also a big tourist area. So like when I come out of my building a, a, after work, when I, I tell people, oh, you know, there's a thousand people on the sidewalk. I'm not kidding. There's a thousand people yeah. standing across the street from the NBA store taking a picture.
1: Right, right.
0: Of, of a store. Yes. <laughs> I don't get it.
1: Yeah, it's it's always mind-blowing like for for locals because especially, I mean, where you work is actually not too far from where my school is and we're kind of not too far from one of the main tourist havens of Manhattan, which is Midtown Manhattan like Times Square, all like Fifth Avenue, all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing, like, because, you know, for locals, we always just, we know where we're going. Uh, We try to avoid those touristy areas like the plague, but sometimes we have to be there. And tourists will stop in the middle of the sidewalk. They never walk straight. They're always crisscrossing. And they're always looking at the dumbest, least interesting stuff in New York City. They're usually looking up at, like, an advertisement Taking photos of it, and it's like you're taking photos of an ad. <laughs> like right, you're right, like, exactly. So falling into the hands of these marketers, <laughs> like it's ridiculous.
0: Right, like well, you know, and when people have not visited New York City, or at least have visited Midtown Manhattan, they must be wondering taking pictures of an ad. So like some of the advertisements, are, like are they are amazing. I mean, you look right. at like a, like on Fifth Avenue, like just a a like a little bus stop has like the bus covering. And it'll have, like, these super animated little videos of models wearing, you know, the latest clothing. I mean, it's a, it's amazing stuff, but it's still a fucking ad that right. runs on a loop over and over and over again, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, uh, near my school, there's a one of those, uh, anyone who's familiar with New York knows those tourist shops that sell, like, the souvenirs, the Statue of oh, Liberty's, yeah. the I Love New York shirts. <laughs> Uh, there's one of those like on the uh, ground floor of the building where uh, City Wing Chun is, and they have a um, uh, like a Statue of Liberty, like a plastic Statue of Liberty and it, like a like a kind of a, a human size one. And everyone stops to take a photo in front of that. It's brilliant for them, but it's kind of like. Why don't you just go to the real one? Like, like this is, right. like, I don't know. Just like, as in New York, I'm like, that's so cheap and dumb. And there's like way better stuff to do in New York than that, right? Sure thing, sure thing. Yeah,
0: um, I, I I want to share something real quick with the uh, the folks here. Um, okay, so listen, everybody that listens to the podcast. Well, everybody, most people listen to the podcast. Know I'm fat. Let me clue you in about fat people. Fat people know we're fat. We really do. Like, we have a mirror, we've seen pictures. We, we, we get it, we know we're fat. There's no reason to tell us, other than being a dick, that we're fat. If you're not helping, you're not encouraging, you're not trying to push people in the right direction, even if you like kind of tell yourself that you are, you're not. You're really being a dick. So, stop telling people like, you know, that are fat, that they're fat. You know, like, or, or if they post on Facebook like, oh, I'm watching a movie with my wife. Don't say, hey, you know, it's really nice outside. Why don't you go for a walk in the park? Hey, why don't you go fuck yourself? You know? <laughs> That's so, so New York. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like, so, like, so recently I was telling Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on Fifth Avenue you're going to work in the morning, and some guy dripping in sweat who's jogging comes up to me, touches my arm. First of all, don't touch me. I don't want you touching me. I don't care if you're sweating or not sweating, don't touch me. But would you, would you drip in fucking sweat, touch my arm, and say, Can I ask you something? Like, again, I'm just like, shut the fuck up. But I, I caught the guy. I said, "Let me guess. All that exercising is killing you, and you want me to set out a food program for you?" Because <laughs> you, you got to, you know, you got to let them know that they're being a jerk. You right, know what I mean? Right, right, and, I, and he's like, "All right, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." And he just kept on jogging. What's, off. what's funny
1: is that's actually kind of rare for new. Like I'd expect a tourist to do that, but the fact that he was jogging means he might be local. I don't know. It just seems more like a tourist thing, like to come up to like New Yorkers leave each other kind of alone. like. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true.
0: But, you know, I I do get a lot of I do get New Yorkers come up to me now. Like, I mean, not I think they mean well. I do. Then some on some level, they think they're being helpful. But right. They're not. They're they're being a douchebag. So yeah,
1: I, I think it's yeah. I think it's always like pe- people sometimes have an instinct, and you know sometimes that instinct comes from a good place, but they need to like sometimes like stop for a moment, and think about whether it's actually helpful. And I think one of the most annoying things, actually, I was reading an article about it last week on Twitter, um, unsolicited advice is unbelievably rude and think of how many times you've had conflict with people not maybe just people coming up to you trying to say something about your weight but just in general when people give you unsolicited advice it's kind of like um i didn't ask you like for your input or opinion and and how unbelievably rude it is to give people unsolicited advice so there was an article which had like strategies for dealing with people who give you unsolicited advice and, uh, I, I didn't realize at what, what, a, what kind of a big phenomenon it was. And like, it co- sometimes comes from a good place, but I think people just don't think a little bit deeper about, you know, what the implications are of like, you know, you're, you're trying to tell somebody something and they don't want to hear it, you know?
0: Right. Well, and you have to be careful when you do it with a guy like me, because, you know, I have a tongue. I can come back at you hard, right. oftentimes without thinking. Like I'll be mean, you know right. what I mean? Like I don't mean to be that way, but I am because I'm a dick, and like I can come back hard at a guy, and I've had quote unquote friends who come come to me with the whole weight thing, and like I know that their lives are a wreck, right? Like their lives are a wreck. They just got divorced from their third wife. They're you know what I mean? They're like their kids are all fucked up. They're on this you know third or fourth job already. Like their lives are a fucking wreck, but you know what? They're in shape. So that's what they think they're an expert in and they have to like share that with you. Like I don't come up to them and say, hey, listen, dude, you know, I got the same wife for 28 years now, you know, maybe I can give you some marital advice. I would never do that to a guy. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm at the same job 34 years. You want, you want some employment advice? (laughs) Okay, so you have 6% body fat. Good for you. I don't care. I didn't ask.
1: Right, right, right.
0: You know what I mean? Mind your fucking business, people, really. Mind your business and listen to Kung Fu and your life will be so much better.
1: <laughs> Speak, speaking of weird input, I don't know if you saw, I did that uh, bottle cap challenge that's been going around. I, uh, I shot it and, and uh, people uh, seemed to really like it but, you know, where you kick the, the, the bottle cap thing off. That or was whatever. awesome. Yeah, so I, you know, and, and it's kind of like it's weird how the Internet works because everyone is like, oh, Jason Statham is the first one to do it. No, it was Max Holloway. Max Holloway did it. And actually, the original challenge, if you look at Max Holloway's video, when he kicked it, the thing spun in place and didn't spin off of the bottle. Right. right. So which was totally badass. Right. And then, and then Jason Statham did one, which was pretty cool, and he's just way better looking and way more famous than Max Holloway. So then everyone was like, oh, you know, Jason Statham was the first guy to do it. And I'm like, no, no. And um, although, did you see John John, John- John Mayer did one. John Mayer did one with a nice spinning kick. And uh, then of course, like everything in the internet, <sighs> It comes out a bunch of people try to do it and then a bunch of people start making jokes and making fun of it but did you see i think the best one is donnie yens did you see that one i did see that one that was very cool he did it blindfolded did the quick kick and then went into the wing chun jong sao after that which i thought was pretty awesome um and of course i having done the challenge i i kind of know the trick all right so like um, first of all, if you have a decent kick, whether it's like the hook kick or the spinning kick, whatever you do, it's got to be the right leg going across because the bottle only the bottle caps only spin in one direction. People, that's why oh. that's why you don't see anybody doing a spinning kick with their left leg because you would close the bottle cap, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you you can only do it to that one side. That's the first thing. And of course, everyone's like, yo, the 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 bottle cap has to be slightly unscrewed. It's like, uh, no shit, <laughs> like no one Bye. is no one is doing it with a sealed bottle. Bottle cap, and I don't think anybody claimed that they were right. So right. it's like,
0: I mean, it's a fucking
1: joke. Yeah, guys. but it's, it's so tough. funny because people are like, "Yeah, well, the bottle caps got to be like." Par-. It's like, yeah, you're right, but st- I still want to see you do it. <laughs> like, right. it's like Doesn't make it any easier. And um, but there've been some really creative ones that came out, like where people, ju- John Jones did one where he was about to do the kick and then he stopped and grabbed the bottle and just twisted it off. But there were two really awesome ones I saw. Um, one was like an uh, an old mom. She looked like she could have been Hispanic. She threw her shoe like shoe, she would throw yeah. it at, at her son, right? And like spun the bottle cap, which I was like, you know, the the you know, there, there is no hell, hell no, no wrath like a like a Spanish lady throwing a shoe, and so uh, that was awesome. But I think the slickest one, it's not. It it's, was done in Vegas with a sports car. Like, it's either a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. And somebody, like, literally uh, um, does like uh, slides the Lamborghini sideways while the rear spoiler comes out. And the rear spoiler is coming out while the guy is drifting and hits the bottle cap and spins it. And that was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That was pretty intense. So, uh, although you know the amount of money that that person spent on that car, you also wonder if they just didn't CGI it, right? But it's right, right, if, exactly. If, yeah. if they didn't, that thing is it's pretty amazing. And um, the the weird thing is, after I did mine, so like you can see mine, it's on my uh, Sifu Alex Richter Instagram page. I also threw it up on Twitter. I did. Uh, I wanted to do something with Wing Chun, but it it we we tried a couple things, and it just didn't really look that good. And so I'm like, screw it. Uh, I'm a a former taekwondo black belt. I can do a spinning kick. I haven't done a spinning kick in 20 years, but I'll try it. And um, there's a couple tricks to it. First of all, if you, The person who's holding the bottle is just as responsible for the trick as the person doing it because that person needs to hold a little bit of back pressure so that the thing will spin off because right, sure. if it's too loose, you don't get the spin and the bottle moves and it doesn't look good, um, which means even the blindfolded ones are actually not that difficult. It, it, it's like a culmination of the person holding it and like if you have a decent spin kick i think pretty much anyone can do it so i just did mine with super hammy faces which look ridiculous in slow motion and if you listen to it listen to it with the sound on because when i kick it it actually sounds pretty awesome and i and we did it in two takes we did like a practice take and then we did the real one and that was it and i just went downstairs and we posted it and uh, i think people like it we got a a weird comment though on <laughs> On Instagram I don't follow the the Instagram comments on my public page because I don't manage my public page but every once in a while I'll go down I'll just look at like what people write on there and some guy was like I'm so tired of these bottle cap spinning videos why don't you use your martial arts skills to attack Trump supporters or something like that and it was like It's like, look, look, man, like, uh, what an asshole. But but it's also like just so divorced from reality. It's like, you know, like, oh, I'm wasting my time doing this. Dude, it took me, it took us longer to set up the camera than it took for me to actually do the thing in two takes. And it's not like I'm not busy doing other things. It was just, it was so weird. And it was like, okay, yeah. And he's like, yeah, if I was a highly skilled martial artist, that's what I would do. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. People who invest time to develop skills in martial arts don't use their skills to assault people who they have a conflict of opinion with. And it's just right. like when you look at you, like, what kind of person is this? Like, it's so, it's so bizarre, like, like when you when you follow like the, the logic thread or lack of logic thread of people who go out of their way to like just like to, to even to comment on something that's like totally silly. Like, it's it's so funny. And um, all the rest of the comments were pretty funny though. But like, there, there's always that one and you're like, dude, what is your deal, man? <laughs> like <laughs>
0: my, my son, John sent me a, uh, a Photoshopped picture of like um, John Jones. Like he's about to do it. Yeah. But instead of the bottle, it has a, uh, it's a bottle of Diana Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whatever he got popped for the p- picograms <laughs> or whatever. <laughs>
1: That's so funny. Um, yeah, spe- speaking of John Jones, uh, there's another big UFC coming up this weekend. By the time the podcast hits, it it will have already be done uh, been done. But
0: John Jones is fighting again. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I, you know, I'm me and you, you and I are both big UFC fans, and um, there's a lot of good fighters fighting this on this card. It's yeah, George it's definitely
1: G- George Masvidal, who's another Cuban like me. He's fighting uh, Ben Askren, who's a uh, uh, this is his second fight in UFC, who is a Bellator champ and a 1FC champ and, uh, you know, one of the best wrestlers in there. And he's got a weird style, but he's undefeated. Um, and uh, George Masvidal is, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think Ben Askran's kind of funny, but of course, I have to always go with my... With my Cuban brother on this one, I, ho- I hope he wins because it'd be kind of nice to see Ben Askren shut up <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> um, the John Jones thing, so like I've been up and I used to not like John Jones because um, I just like, and we've talked about it before. There was a bit of a he has a bit of a congruence issue where he's like in the early days he was trying to be like that he's pious and religious and everything like that, but you could just smell the hypocrisy on it. And then of course things would come out like a DUI or he would do this or do that. And you're just like, and then he would still kind of pretend to be like this religious guy. And you kind of knew that he was a jerk (laughs) and you just wanted him to own it. And it just seems like more recently, he's a little bit more comfortable not pretending he's somebody who he's not. And it's like, to the degree he's just being himself, I'm starting to like him more But then the other problem is he's so damn good. I mean, John Jones, it's not just his size. I mean, the dude is amazing. And he does a lot of cool stuff like some cool-looking Wing Chun-style elbows. He does the front lead side kick. He does some stuff that I really like as a martial artist. But it's also kind of hard to get hyped up when you know he's just going to kick the shit out of whoever they put in front of him. Until he gets older and starts declining, I don't really like... And, and these are really tough fighters, but next to him, they all look like tin cans. And so it's sometimes that he's got a bit of a, it's a tough sell sometimes with John Jones. What, what do you think about somebody who's so dominant? Like, you know, Tyson in his heyday? how do you get excited about somebody who's just so damn dominant and like beats everyone they put in front of him?
0: Right. Well, you know, I liked when John Jones first came up, I did like him. Um, there was some obscure connection with him with JKD. He was from upstate New York or something to that effect. So there was these like little kind of like stupid things that fans can latch onto and and and, and find a reason to like a guy. I have a hard time rooting for John Jones now. He's just at some point just went too far for me with different bullshit. Uh-huh. And uh, I just I have i mean, listen. I'm not saying he's not a brilliant martial artist. I'm not saying he can't kick the shit out of me and everybody I ever fucking mm. met. I'm just saying, I just don't like the guy, you know. I right. just not not a big fan of did it. Did the did the PED thing kind of sour that for you? The that was just one more thing to not like about him, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. I think you know I look at PEDs in MMA as just so different than other sports, right? Right. And it to me, it's just like you know, a football football player, baseball player. First of all, baseball player that doesn't take PEDs, he's not even trying. Right. Like you know what I mean. Like you know, I yes. kind feel of like you know I think, in baseball. All you do is hit. You know, we hit the ball further. You know, right, right, right. right. But here, you're gonna kill a guy. You know. yeah, and, yeah. I, think and co- I think combat
1: oh, sports is it's kind of a different story because of the consequences of combat sports. Whereas, I like if baseball doesn't get better, the only path for baseball to get better is for them to all be on PEDs. I mean, first of all, I don't right. care about baseball, but if that's the path, I don't see a problem with that. But when you're sending your shin to someone's head. And Exactly, it's right. that's a bit of a different story, right?
0: And and I think John Jones had to at some point become the heel, because he's so intertwined with uh, DC, right. and DC is just a great guy. Right, right, right. He's just a great guy. So, yeah, maybe DC can't beat John Jones, but John Jones can't beat DC when it comes to being a human being. Right. And like when you compare, you know, compare the two. John Jones loses in my in my in my opinion, you sure, know what I mean? Sure, sure. The the fight that I'm really excited about on the card is uh, Holly Holm versus Amanda Nunes. Yeah. I I, I like Holly Holm so much. I, and I like Amanda Nunes also, but I'm just a Holly Holmes fan for some reason and like I am absolutely excited about seeing her. I'm excited about seeing Luke Rockhold and who cannot enjoy watching the ultimate Diego Sanchez. <laughs> this this dude is so intense and meanwhile he's just like an awesome dude he's like diego sanchez is a good
1: guy right and uh, i'm surprised he's still fighting i mean like especially given his fighting style because usually usually the fighters who tend to have a longer career are the ones who tend to fight smarter and I don't know if anyone has ever accused Diego Sanchez of fighting smart, <laughs> right? <laughs> and sticks and, his chin out and goes, yeah, and just goes in and 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 uh, I mean, remember, D- uh, was it Diego Sanchez and um, uh, man, who's the guy? He's also in the uh, D- uh, Gilbert Melendez. I don't know. Do you remember their right, fight? Right. Yeah. That sure. Was like sure. One of sure. the most insane fights ever, right? Um, and and yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, it's entertaining, but usually guys who fight like that don't have such a long career. And and so it's interesting to see him still, because isn't he from, like, the first or second season of Ultimate Fighter? Isn't he, like, from, like, one of
0: those, like, ultra early he, he, seasons? He, he is, and um, he's 37 years old. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's getting up there, but you know what? Holly Holm's 37 years old also. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, I think Amanda Nunes is going to be a little too much for her. Amanda Nunes is just an assassin she's yeah she's she's, she's a beast I she agree. punches so powerfully and moves so well and like after what i saw after what she did to cyborg i'm like i don't know i i think it it's gonna be a bit i think it's gonna be a bit before someone goes in there you know and and gives her a gives her a hard time you know Oh, you want to laugh
0: i didn't realize this but on on the uh on the earlier part on the prelim card gilbert melendez is fighting
1: Oh, he's back. He's, he was. He also had, like, a PED thing. He was out for a little bit, and uh, so right. you now I guess he's back or whatever. So, yeah, interesting. Cool, cool. Well, you know, our fans always get upset when we talk about MMA too much because, you know, they, 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 they like these cavernous gaps of uh, – of, uh, Categories like oh we do Wing Chun and that's Kung Fu, or we do Jeet Kune Do and that's this, and it's not about MMA and MMA. Like you know, you, you can't be an MMA fan and also still like Kung Fu apparently, right? So
0: people, right. I mean, people you get know, upset folks, about it. We try and keep the the UFC MMA talk to a minimum, but at this point here, there is no greater expression of of martial arts than MMA, in my opinion. Like you know. If you want to put it on the line, MMA is a, a, a pretty damn way, of, pretty damn cool way of going about testing out your stuff. Because like I don't care what style you use, you know, you trade for the streets, I rip people's eyes out and ears off and shit like that. That's not how you're sparring with your buddy. Right. You know, you, you and your buddy when you're sparring, if you're sparring, are not ripping each other's ears off and you know, fish hooking the eyes and crap like that. Right. You're, you're, you're exchanging jabs, you're exchanging kicks. You're, you're, you're going for a takedown. You're going for an arm break. You're, 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 you're basically doing MMA, you know, you could say, okay, this jab actually represented a finger jab to your eye, but in training, it's not in in training, it's a jab and you're wearing headgear. So how, what, how is what you're doing different than MMA? Right, right. You know, it's like when you sit there and say, oh, well, I train with no rules. Nah, eh, not really. Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> it's,
1: Well, you know. I, I've also noticed, like, um, because I get a lot of visitors to my school, uh, both from, like, the WT world and also just, like, the greater Wing Chun community. And we have, like, a very um, kind of playful, especially for my, my senior students, have kind of a very playful and regular, intense kind of way of doing sparring. So like, you know, my guys where they put on the gloves, shin pads, elbows, all that stuff, and then, you know, one person is coming at them with jabs, hooks, crosses, takedowns, all that stuff, and you have to spar using your Wing Chun against those kind of attacks, right? And so and it's done in a very progressive like, you know, progressive resistance. And also it's done in a very modern way where it's also playful. Right. And that way the students can learn how, like, to okay, I totally messed up there. Let me try that again. And what happens is sometimes we get visitors from these schools where like, yeah, well, you know, Wing Chun is not about fighting with rules and stuff like that. And what ends up happening is they don't actually know how to spar. So. Even though they have all this like theoretical knowledge that if someone grabs them, they're going to gouge their eyes out with their thumb or if somebody, you know, puts them at a hold, they're going to grab their groin or whatever their like street fighting tactic is. The fact that they cannot even like playfully exchange back and forth makes it really unlikely that they're actually going to be able to apply those things in real fighting, whereas like. If, if you're used to punches and kicks coming at you and someone trying to take you down and you can deal with that in a playful way, well then you're probably more likely to be able to do things that might be considered street fighting tactics. And um, But these guys, like they often fall apart and not because my students are trying to rip their head off, they just don't even know how to like playfully move around with somebody without feeling like they're being personally attacked because they've never done it before. And so I often find like it's very difficult to get people to spar who are visitors because they'll sometimes freak out and be very dangerous, not in a good way. Like they'll be dangerous because they're like having mini meltdowns in what's otherwise a a progressive sparring exercise and not a life and death situation. You know what I mean?
0: Right. And knowing how to intelligently spar is really important regardless of what system and style you do. Yes. Yes. You know, you have to know how to intelligently spar. It's part of the learning process of becoming a martial artist and and progressing as a, a, a good, a good training partner and being a senior student is knowing how to intelligently spar with your, 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 your fellow students so that you guys can go as hard as you can go without hurting people. You know, it's guys that can't spar intelligently, just that, you know, they just shouldn't be in the school. Exactly. It's, you know, I, I've been in, I've I, I blown to a JQD school, and um, there was a guy there who was known for hurting people. And I, I remember one time saying to the teacher, Why is he still a student here? Right. You know, it's like at, at some point, can we just chuck him out? Because I remember, I remember like at one point, He took a guy's knee out. Yeah. And and I remember like someone saying, damn, that's the fourth guy he's done that to. Ridiculous. You know what? He's got to go. Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure.
0: Because if I can't, if I belong to a school, I have to know that one of the primary um, focuses of that school, in addition to teaching me how to fight, is teaching me how to fight safely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I need to be able to go to work the next day. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I I can't risk getting I mean listen, accidents happen. Right. Of course accidents sure happen. In any uh, kind of athletic endeavor accidents can happen. But when there's one person who progressively gets harder and harder and, and and repeatedly hurts people, he's got to go. Yeah. He, he you know, at some point the teacher has to say that the, the health and health and uh, general welfare of the Rest of the student body of my school is more important yes. than the, whatever this guy is paying me in tuition. Right, right. Because but, you will, the people will quit your school if they're afraid of getting hurt by somebody.
1: Yeah, and it has nothing to do with the toughness of the people who are there. It's like, like you said, people have jobs, people have stuff they have to do, and also, if you're doing martial arts as a hobby, all right. So maybe you're doing it because you enjoy it, or maybe you want to learn to defend yourself. Does it really make sense for you to be under constant risk of serious injury for potentially having to defend yourself maybe once in your lifetime or something like that, Uh, given the amount of times you might really use it in the street? And that's not to say that sometimes you shouldn't train a little harder or really push it, but it's like day in and day out. I mean, even MMA fighters who are training for a fight, can't do that because they can't risk being injured for the fight and they can't train like total meatheads um, just because they're tough and they're MMA guys. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And, and it seems more prevalent in arts like um, Wing Chun or Jeet Kune do, which are like kind of practical arts and they're not on the super traditional end of the spectrum, but there's like this kind of thing like, Oh, it's gotta be real. And if, if, you know, if you're not getting a bloody nose, every class, you're not learning something kind of thing. And I just find that's right, such right, an right, outdated exactly. way of looking at stuff. When I, um, when I go to Miami and I, I practice training with um, with the Valenti brothers, they have like a striking classes and striking classes we can also integrate with the grappling. And you know, I'm training there with some high level uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu guys and we got boxing gloves on and we're going back and forth. And it is so much fun because they are like super cool dudes to train with um, some of them know him wing Chun guy most of them don't most of them wouldn't even care and like there's no weirdness and we can go hard and still keep it playful even when it goes on the ground in a way that I find like some people can't even cheese out in their own school that way and here right, I exactly am with, here right. I am with like with these guys and they're like and and you just get so much more out of the training because you can go longer and harder because you're not you got not getting busted up because you're partner has a massive ego issue you know
0: what i mean absolutely uh before we move on to our uh, main topic tonight let's uh give this a little quick listen to about our good friend sifu john Cuscioni. tonight's main topic is being brought to you by sifu john Cuscioni at laughing dragon wing chun we know john for a long time and he's known as an old school guy teaching real world effective wing chun john's been involved in the martial arts for 50 years most of that in wing chun and he's one of the most respected teachers on the east coast he has a very successful school on Long Island and two branch schools, one in Syracuse, New York, as well as one in Atlantic City, New Jersey. If you're in those areas and want to train with one of the best, you need to go to Laughing Dragon Wing Chun. And, of course, you can find them on Facebook. And if you're on Long Island, you got to go to 110 Stewart Avenue in Westbury. And you tell them the dudes of kung fu sent you. All right, now let's get back to the show. And we're back. Awesome. Um, Man, I tried. I tried to hold my breath for that whole thing. I couldn't. I couldn't take it. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't take
1: it. It's like I gotta start working on my lung capacity. I, I told you. I told you on the last show that somebody. Uh, somebody I know thought you looked like Varys from Game of Thrones.
0: No, you didn't tell. I me didn't that. tell
1: you that. So when I was I was in California a couple weeks ago, and uh, I had a buddy there that I I do a car race with. I've I've talked about it a few times. I, I used to race cars from New York to L.A. and New York to San Francisco. These cross country races, we do it in like thirty something hours. Um, and it's something I've done a few times. It's a, one of my racing buddies, super funny guy named Pierce. He he doesn't know anything about kung fu, but you know we're connected on social media. And there was a photo at um, John's wedding where it's just the two of us next to each other, right? And uh, right. and and so he looked at that photo. He goes, "Dude, I didn't know you did a kung fu podcast with Varys from Game of Thrones." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, and, and at first I was like, what? And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. You do kind of look like Paris, I suppose. And so. I guess I do, except I, I'm not a eunuch, but other than yeah. that. <laughs> but I just. It's it's also really funny uh, for me because, in general, we are so in our kung fu world. Like what we see on social media is all our kung fu friends and, and stuff. So we're so used to like who people are. It's funny when people outside of that circle witness it from an outside perspective and like totally look like, like dude, your your, co- your podcast co-host looks like Varys. <laughs> okay, with and, and like, which I would never would have uh, uh, come on uh, that thought. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of funny. Speaking of social media, I was on uh, this morning. I was looking at uh, uh, someone who was a guest on on our podcast. Burton Richardson who's a Jeet Kune Do instructor teaches out in uh, in Hawaii and uh, was a great podcast guest we should we should get him on again he was he was really Absolutely. a lot of fun um he, he posted that, uh, like, um, I think there was a Ted Wong quote about, uh, you know, Wing Chun being important, but wasn't that important to Bruce Lee because it didn't show up in his notes. And then, uh, you know, Burton Richardson kind of con- concurred uh, that uh, Wing Chun wasn't a big part of Bruce Lee's Jeet kundo, I suppose, perhaps more in the later era, because Bruce had written that, you know, he basically given it up and he was more focused on being mobile and this, that and the other thing. And so... Um, And uh, while it's not my place to agree or disagree with any of that kind of stuff, um, I I did have to I did have to chime in, which is also rare for me to chime in on those things that um, if you look at all of Bruce's notes, uh, at least and I haven't seen all of Bruce's notes. Um, I've seen a fair amount of it. Um, what, I think what people forget is that Bruce was writing notes on things he didn't know about from books that he was reading. So why would he be writing about Wing Chun if all the Wing Chun he had learned, he had already learned and he wasn't? In the 1960s, I think there was only two Wing Chun books. Or maybe one Wing Chun book by uh, R- Rolf Klausnitzer, who was an early student of Wong San Leung, which I don't think anyone could get in the States at that time. And the second book was written by Bruce Lee in the early 70s. So <laughs> so what books would, were, would Bruce Lee have been reading that he would have been writing notes from? A lot of his notes on boxing were literally taken from books that he was uh, uh, reading. And I had to mention that, yeah, but what some of you guys are also missing besides the fact that why would Bruce Lee make notes about Wing Chun if he already knew everything he knew about Wing Chun? um, Most of what Bruce wrote in Chinese in like if you look at Bruce's notes, they're mostly written in English. But on the on the liners, he would write little notes in Chinese. And then there were some notes he wrote which were just in Chinese. Pretty much most of the stuff he wrote in Chinese was about Wing Chun. So he was writing about it he just wasn't writing about it in english and when he was talking about boxing and, and fencing and distance and timing and rhythm in the notes he would talk about in the notes he would literally write things like pak and tan like how he would use those you know different types of footwork to bridge the gap to do maybe certain wing chun things but of course it wasn't written in english so there's this idea that he like Wing Chun was no longer on the hard drive at all, um, or a notion. And I'm not saying that's what Burton Richardson was saying. I'm just saying there's a notion that Wing Chun wasn't on the hard drive at all in the latter period of the of his JKD. So, what do you think about these kind of various phases and things that people talk about, like early phase, Seattle phase, Oakland phase, latter phase? Like, how do you break that down?
0: Okay, so this is a. Uh in, in, in the JKD community, it's probably a, it's, it, this, this conversation is going to upset some people. Because everybody looks looks at Jeet Kune Do with this paradigm that their seafood gave them. And they understandably take that as gospel, right? So what I'm going to say is I want to preface this with saying everything I'm about to say is my own opinion. And of course, it's also 100% true. <laughs> no <laughs> it's, <laughs> true, it's, it's, true that
1: it's true that it's your opinion Let's put it that it's way It's true that it's my opinion yeah.
0: When it comes to The the latter stages of Bruce Lee's development I would say That you saw less Of the physical System of Wing Chun Being expressed by Bruce Lee In his latter days You saw more of a fencing Not boxing A fencing fighter. Um, you, but if you, if Alex, if I went to you as a Wing Chun person and said, give me three of the most important, um, principles of Wing Chun, right? What would you say? Uh, efficiency, simplicity, you know, give me one more natural movement. Okay. These ideas are when, 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 if you say that there's no Wing Chun and what Bruce Lee was doing, you're not paying attention. Or you have a different understanding of what Wing Chun is. When people say to me, oh, well, at the end, Bruce Lee wasn't doing any Wing Chun. So I'm not going to do Wing Chun. To me, that says that they don't understand Wing Chun or they have a very superficial understanding of Wing Chun or they're looking for some sort of something right out of the forms of Wing Chun. I think as Bruce Lee got older and we say older, he was 32, right? as Bruce Lee got older, he was more looking at fencing than anything else. And his personal development was more towards fencing as far as a physical expression of his fighting system. You know, um, so you saw less and less, in my opinion, less of the boxing and a lot less of the physical system of Wing Chun. But the core principles of Wing Chun, were never left and that and never would leave Bruce Lee's system. It was ingrained in him. The idea that Bruce Lee would start doing things inefficiently wouldn't would, would be ridiculous. Right? So he was efficient. And where did he get that efficiency from? That efficiency came from his understanding of Wing Chun. Now when you when another thing when you talk about these phases in Ji Do, you'll, you'll often hear there's the Seattle phase, the Oakland phase, the LA Chinatown phase. And then there's like, some people who refer to the Hong Kong phase or the post LA Chinatown phase. Mm. When it came to the three schools, you have to remember, and I'm not a historian. We, we probably should have uh, another historian on to talk about this, but the, the three schools rank concurrently. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like you know. Bruce Lee was teaching in Seattle and then completely shut everything down and moved to Oakland, opened up something new, did something completely different. Then shut everything down in Oakland, moved to L.A., and like and nothing was going on in Seattle and right. in Oakland. Right. That you know, he if you look at Bruce Lee's letters and and notes and there's like letters to Taki Kimura saying, "Oh, uh, remind me when I see you, I have to show you this." Right. Or we've ad- we've added this, or we've taken away that, regardless of what this and that are. Right. But what was being taught in these schools is. I would say more dependent on the instructor's own personality sure. and and viewpoint. Right. There really wasn't an LA phase, a Seattle phase, and an Oakland phase. But there were developmental phases in Bruce Lee's expression of his physical system. You know, it's what he was doing physically when he was 25 was different than what he was doing when he was 32. Arguably, what he would, what he would have been doing at 37 would have been much different than what he was doing at 32. You know, so we don't know where he would have gone. We have an idea, but we don't know. So when you talk about phases, I think phases can be, you can use the word phases when you talk about Bruce Lee's own development. But when you talk about the schools, I don't like to use the word phase because it implies that Bruce Lee like left something behind. And I think, you know, Taki Kimura taught what he understood. James Lee taught what he understood. You know, and Guru Dan taught in L.A. what he understood. And I think that all three were still being updated by Bruce Lee as to what they as to what to teach. So I, I don't agree with that. Right. The other thing I want to kind of mention as part of our main topic a little bit is this idea of, because someone actually wrote in and asked me about this once. Like, um, what's the difference between Jun Fan Kung Fu or Jun Fan Chi Kune Do and just Ji Kundo? Do? And I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I right. want to mention it again. If you if you look at the word jun fan or Lee Jun Fan, that was Bruce Lee's name. And when someone says to me that they do Jun Fan Jeet Kune Do or Jun Fan Kung Fu as opposed to Jeet Kune Do, I look at I look at Jeet Kune do as a thing. Jeet Kune Do is a thing to me. And if you're gonna do Jun fan Ji kune do, you have to be teaching and doing that thing the way lee Jun fan did it so if you tell me oh i do jkd with a knife awesome if you tell me i do Jun fan kung fu with the knife well then you have to show me how Jun fan used the knife how did bruce lee use the knife mm. Because if you're going to use the man's name, use the man's system. Right. You know, at least that's my opinion. When people start telling me, oh, I'm doing uh, Jun Fan Kung Fu and they start doing some weird Muay Thai shit, I'm sorry, that doesn't wash to me. You know what I mean? You could say you're doing JKD, but the second you use his name, I I, I honestly think you have to represent what he was doing physically. Right, right. The, The drills he was doing, you know, that's how you can keep his system alive is if you know if as teachers if you're going to use his system have the respect to do what he was actually doing I'm not saying everybody has to do that I'm just saying if you're going to use the name Jun Fan you have to do what Bruce Lee was doing
1: right right that's interesting I mean I I, it's also a problem in Wing Chun I think like it's 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 this recurring problem of tribalism which is not only an issue in traditional martial arts more modern martial arts like jeet kendo still have it uh but even you know jujitsu other est- any established martial arts pretty much goes through phases where it's like you have the orthodoxy of a style and then you have the latter-day reformers who change it or, or or you know and some claim that they're doing it the way the founder would have done it or they go another way you pretty much have this split in like every single martial art it, it it's it's just a matter of time because it's human nature that You have people who are naturally more conservative and want to do things the same way and not change it. And then you have people who are um, maybe faithful to that but want to use that as the first step and then take it to the next level. And then you have people who just change it arbitrarily because they feel like it, it's their own thing, but they still use the name. But everyone seems to, at least in my experience, everyone seems to overestimate the importance of their own or their teachers time with their famous teacher it's almost like systematically so you can and i, mean, I think i think even mentioned it on the last podcast i mean like talk to any one of grandmaster yip man's early period students or students who learn from grandmaster yip man's early period students and they will tell you like Well, that was the best time period to learn from Yip Man because he just started, he was training a small core of people how to fight and they all learned from him by hand and he was like much younger. So those are the guys who got the real shit and talk to anybody who is a middle period student of Grandmaster Yip Man like... Uh, Moyat or Hokka Ming, or any of these guys, and they will tell you, well, actually, in the early period, he had not fully developed his program. He also had some personal issues. It wasn't until the middle period that he was starting to teach a little bit more openly and more clearly. So, actually, if you really want to know Yip Man Wing Chun, you should learn from the middle period, guys and then talk to the latter period guys who are like, yeah, but he didn't finally finish editing the wooden dummy form until 1967. So like if you learn before then, you have a way older version of the dummy and yada, yada, yada. But people naturally will say this because first of all, it's always the narrative from your instructor. Have you ever heard an instructor in any phase of Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do say, well, actually, I learned in this phase, but I know that Bruce Lee taught better in this latter phase. Have you ever heard (laughs) anybody say that? No people. If if people are from Oakland, they will tell you why the Oakland period is the best period to have learned from Bruce Lee. If people are from Seattle, the same from L.A., Chinatown, the same. For the most part, you have exceptions of people who don't look at that in that way. But for the most part, no one is going to tell you they learned in a bad phase of an instructor. And most of the People, the time period they learned, they will overestimate the importance in their teacher's life. So, for example, if you listen to people uh, from the William Cheung lineage, they will tell you, you know, how important William Cheung was in the early period of Grandmaster Yip Man's career and how his brother had something to do with the, getting the first wooden dummy. And without this stuff, Yip Man would have never done anything. But William Cheung left Hong Kong in 1959 and already. The next year, there were new people coming and there were new stories and new things unfolding and new important people in Grandmaster Yip Man's life. And there are tons of stories that have bypassed people who learned from William Chung, but they will act as if William Chung was the most pivotal person. Leong Ting people are the same way with Leong Ting. Wong Sun Leung people are the same way with Wong Sun Leong. And it's not to say that any of these individuals are not important, but there always seems to be a super lineage centric view and spin on everything from a teacher's period. And I guarantee you, you know, in my own teaching, uh, I, I've also improved the way I teach things, improved the way I do stuff, but I guarantee you that I, there's some older students of mine that would say, well, yeah, like sivu has got a more refined teaching program now, but when I learned back in 2006, he was teaching us all by hand this way, da, 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 da. da. And if I were to croak and fall off the face of the earth, I guarantee you those very same students will say, yeah, but I learned in like the 2006 period where like, you know, blah, 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 you know? And and the funny thing is, and just to make it clear, I'm way better now than I was back then. So it doesn't matter what I taught in 2006, it matters what I teach now (laughs) because I have the most experience now. I'm always trying to improve how I teach and I'm always trying to make a better experience for my students. I look back at what I taught 10 years ago and I cringe. So I would hope that my students would not hold on to a time capsule of, of when I was teaching as if somehow that was the real thing. I have not given up on improving myself and I, I hope that the best is still yet to come and I think every instructor is that way. And people overestimate these early periods quite often just because it was the period they learned in. And so it seems to also be prevalent in JKD. I don't know. I mean. Uh, oh,
0: absolutely. I, I, I don't. I understand, you know, with, with Bruce Lee dying, that is this uh, goal of wanting to know exactly what he was doing right before he right. passed away. But to me, like that's looking at a snapshot of the truth. That's just looking at like that's like looking at a guy running, um, a, a running back running down the field and and you take a picture of it and you say okay we're going to we're going to base our whole system on what he was doing at the end of his run right you you know what I mean like what got him there we, you know I, I think if you without understanding the progression that Bruce Lee took you can never understand where he was going right and the only reason i believe that there's even I any mean, the importance in understanding where Bruce Lee was going was because i mean let's, let's he was a phenomenal martial artist. You know, let's 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 get rid of this notion that oh, he was just a movie star. And the dude was also a phenomenal martial artist. I'm not saying he was the best that ever lived. I'm not saying any other fanboy bullshit. But he was a phenomenal martial artist. He was, in my opinion, brilliant. The system that he laid out for the people that trained with him was brilliant. He didn't just pass on something. He he progressed. He pushed the envelope. He worked on new things. He developed. He tested. He used the scientific method without calling it that. He you know he 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 tried new things. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. You know. Yes, he was egotistical. Yes, he was braggadocious. Yes, he had a, a lot of flaws. But he was also a brilliant martial artist. Who, I think it's. It, it's a noble gesture to try to understand where he was going. Right. But if you're only going to look at one section of his development, I, I don't think you can sit there and say, well, I know where he was going. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're going to just learn what he did after he left the Chinatown school, maybe you're getting a great snapshot of what he did right before he died. But it doesn't give you a barometer as to where, what direction he was going in. Sure. You know what I mean? If you, if you, ha- you have to kind of understand where he, w- where he came from and where he got to and what was he doing at the end. Like, a- and does that apply to you? So, like, perhaps what Bruce Lee was doing right before he passed away would be more applicable to somebody that's built like Alex than somebody built like me. Mm. You know, maybe it's a bit ridiculous for a guy like me to work on a system that's 100% based on um, movement and fluidity. You know, it, that's just not gonna happen. Sure. You know what I mean? Maybe I need something that's a little bit different. Now, I could still apply the, uh, the, the tenets of, of Jeet Kune Do to what I'm doing, the principles of it, the understanding of distance, timing, and rhythm the five ways of attack, I have to apply them differently, though. So I try and look at the whole body of what Bruce Lee was doing to understand where I well, what I need to be doing and what direction I need to be going in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and not get caught up in something that may just not fit for you. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's I important. Also,
1: I also think it's always very difficult because when you have somebody like Bruce Lee who is arguably the reason why a lot of people do martial arts, uh, even still to this day. He's certainly the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, you you look up to him as like a, a figure, um, almost like, you know, he, he has that kind of status, like, like an Elvis, like a James Dean. On top right. of the fact that what he also did was super brilliant, super applicable, right? Be, you know, like Elvis left his music, and that's something you can always enjoy. Bruce Lee left these films, but he also left something else which um, is not as easily accessible as his films. He left a a martial arts legacy, and you are, in certain respects, kind of forced to listen to the narrative of certain people who learn from him and and say, okay, that's what he did. Um, You can also look at the notes and try to figure out stuff for himself, but I think probably one of the most important things in terms of the legacy of Bruce Lee is, yeah, you know, we we all, you know, I, I learned Wing Chun partially to see what, Bruce Lee had learned and maybe also to see what Bruce Lee had not yet learned and I also you know delved into JKD and wanted to kind of see what he had developed and that was a huge part of my development but I think the bigger legacy and and Bruce Lee would be maybe the first one to say it I mean if you read his notes it seems it's I mean we cannot speak for him but it seems he didn't want people to just imitate him and I think that if you look at Bruce Lee's thought process and you can figure out a way to apply this thought process to your own view of looking at martial arts, to to look at it with a certain critical eye, but I, I mean critical in a positive sense in terms of how you view things in terms of their efficiency, their effectiveness, things like that. You can apply that to literally any martial art you do, and I find that somebody who follows the philosophies of Bruce Lee and can apply them intelligently to their martial arts are doing Jeet Kune Do more than the people who are, like, imitating the stuff that he did. The, the the thought process and the inspiration that Bruce Lee left is something that martial artists should follow and not be, like, too stuck. Like Bruce Lee would say, Jeet Kundo is just a name. Don't, you know, don't fuss over it. He didn't want people, he didn't want it to be an established thing. And I think people kind of miss the point a little bit on that. Bruce Lee, you know, although I'm in certain circles considered like a, a Wing Chun guy or traditional Wing Chun guy, whatever the hell that means. But Bruce Lee's a huge influence in my thought process, how I organize my program, how I organize my curriculum, how I do my own training, and the other things that I practice, my wanting to also have experience against other martial artists. That doesn't come from MMA influence, that comes from Bruce Lee. And so, for, the, for that way he is, he is ever present in my development as a martial artist and I wouldn't dare say that I'm doing Jeet Kune Do, but I would, I would think that there's a template that he created in terms of having a critical thought process on martial arts that is certainly running on my hard drive 24-7 and
0: always will. Right, so we have to be really careful when we mention imitating there's that, that's a tough word when it comes to athletic endeavors yeah. a, a, such as the martial arts Um, forgive me for taking it out of the realm of martial arts and speaking as athletics because I just think it's easier to grasp it this way if you were going to go to a training camp to learn how to be a running back in the NFL and it was being taught based on whoever your favorite running back is in the NFL and you looked at game footage of them running and um you see they show a play and you know a, a hole opens up in the line and he runs through, the, the running back runs through the line and he stiff-arms a, a linebacker, quick sidesteps, another tackle, S- does a spin move and then runs down and scores a touchdown. And the coach says, okay, everybody, let's start off, everybody line up. I want you to run five steps. Stiff arm to your right, do a quick sidestep, right, do a spin move, and then run to the goal line. Yes. You're all gonna look at him and say, What the fuck are you talking about? Right, right, right. Now that would be imitating a running back. Yes. Okay, without understanding why he was doing certain things. Right. right, right. So we have to look at like what Bruce Lee was doing without imitating Bruce Lee. So, if you imitate Bruce Lee, what Bruce Lee is doing in a movie, in some training footage from his backyard, in anything he's doing, if you imitate his movements during a fight or a sparring match, it's, it's beyond ridiculous. You have to understand why the athlete that you're trying to understand did a certain thing. Right. So, if and how they did it. So if that running back did a quick little sidestep, well, how did they shift their weight? How did they go about that? Why, what outside influence led to that quick shift? Right. What outside influence led to the spinning move? Why did he use a stiff arm versus this guy and a spinning move versus that guy? What was the dynamics in real time of what was going on that, that influenced his decision-making. You know, was this guy closer than that guy? Was this guy coming out with intent and another guy was kind of waiting? You, you have to understand what mm. they saw and understand why did they make the decisions they made? How did they go out, you know, maybe this running back is really good at that spin move. You want to understand how he does it doesn't mean you want to impersonate it, though. Right. And when it comes to Jeet G- Kune Do, as a Jeet G- Kune stylist, as a G- Jeet instructor, you want to understand why Bruce Lee made certain decisions, you want to understand why he did certain things, acted certain ways, without directly imitating anything he's ever done. The second you imitate him, you've completely lost your honesty and truth. Mm. Right. Now, I'm not talking about the Bruce Lee faces and, you know, they, everybody puts, like, the, the thumb and the pinky extended and The yellow tracksuit. Sh- <laughs> right, you know, if that makes you happy, get on with your bad self and have fun. This is all about having fun. But if you want to talk about really understanding Jeet Kune Do, you have to understand why did Bruce Lee step right there when he stepped. Like, not, not so much like, oh... You know, you stepped and I stepped. You know, Bruce Lee stepped and that guy stepped, so I'm going to do it that way. You know, you have to understand why it happened. You know, if you want to get even deeper, how did Bruce Lee shift his weight when he was doing it? What was going on that made him move in that kind of way? That's being influenced by the man without impersonating the man. You know, we want to be, you know, we want to be influenced by these great ones. You don't want to impersonate them. Yes. You know what I mean? If if you're a great singer, you want to eventually sing your own songs. If the only songs you can sing greatly are Tom Jones songs, well, you're not a great singer. You're a great Tom Jones impersonator. Right. And you may have a wonderful voice, but if the only fucking thing you can sing is Tom Jones, it's a little lame at some point.
1: (laughs) Although, to be fair, I'd love to be able to sing like Tom Jones. I'd I'd go to town with that skill right
0: there. (laughs) This is true, you know. <laughs> no, I think you're making an absolute excellent.
1: And Tom Jones still gives an amazing concert, by the way. Um, I actually, Sean, what you, you what you just talked about right now, I think was an amazing point and a really awesome distinction about um, you know the difference of really getting to the root of how and why people do things, as opposed to just imitating them in a physical sense and. I think yep yeah, I mean you couldn't have said it better that was really great I, I thought I thought you did a really awesome job I think uh, that it has so many parallels in life also outside of the little wheelhouse of our Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun and just, uh, but yeah, I thought that was really great. That was that was oh, really then awesome. And
0: that, that's all I got to say about that. That's all that. I got to say. You
1: better quit when you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the, we, We've been doing this long enough. We know we got to quit when we're ahead. <laughs> uh, awesome. Before we get out of here, I just want to let all of our uh, listeners know. Uh, for those of you who um, are uh, fans of the magazine Wing Chun Illustrated, they are changing their platform. They were formerly with Magster. And if you remember our old ad talked about going to Magster and all that kind of stuff, they now, I believe, have their own platform for distributing the digital magazine. So for all of you who have subscriptions under the old Magster account, I would suggest you go to wingchunillustrated.com. There's actually a page on the website which talks about how they are switching platforms. You can go there and it has the full directions on how you can switch over your account from Magster to the new platform that Wing Chun Illustrated is on. As always, uh, you know we'd love for you guys to support Wing Chun Illustrated magazine. It is the magazine um, there for our art. They have great articles, uh, not to mention um, editorials by yours truly uh, in every edition. And uh, yeah, check it out, support them. We love our friends at Wing Chun Illustrated and update your subscriptions to the new platform. And that's all
0: I got to say. And I have one more thing for you. Um we picked up a uh, sponsor, Audible dot Audible Books, um, is now sponsoring the Dudes of Kung Fu and we have uh, a, a a link for you to go to. It's Audibletrial dot com slash D O K F where you will get a free audiobook and um on a trial basis. And you know, you, you sign up. My son John signed up without a credit card and and, and, and got a book. So it's if you if you do any kind of traveling whatsoever on a bus, driving in the car, audiobooks are a godsend. I listen to audiobooks every day and audible.com is fantastic. Uh, so, I'm go- so I'm so super excited
1: that Audible is our sponsor, man, because I love Audible and audiobooks are like the best thing in the world when you don't have time and you know, you get the you get the free uh you get one free audiobook, right, when you sign up, right? Right, right that's awesome yeah I'll,
0: I'll, i'm going have will have i'll have more of the details on the next podcast but it's it's audible it's audibletrial.com slash d-o-k-f awesome. and go get a free book bro it's 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 uh we love it so awesome cool well on all that right note, great talking everybody
1: all right take care guys bye bye thank you for listening to our latest episode Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter's your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!